Hi, you're listening to Secrets for an Inspirational Life with me, your host, Mimi Novik. I'm so happy and thrilled to have you here with me. I have created this series for all of us so we can change our world together and live a more holistic and balanced life. Together, we will share lots of inspiring stories from all walks of life, speak with leading experts, enjoy healthy living ideas, explore music and subjects that inspire each other to always have hope. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate all of you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Secrets for an Inspirational Life. I hope that you are all well. I hope that the sun is shining wherever you are and that life has taken on a little bit of a sweeter taste in these past few days. Thank you so much for joining me again. And, you know, we are sometimes so busy with worrying about yesterday and tomorrow that somehow we miss the beauty of today. And one of the things that we forget is that everything in life changes. We are in constant motion. We are in constant change. And the only real way to find peace in this world is to accept this really simple thing but it's not always so easy. So we must try with courage and faith to do that, no matter what is going on in the world. Now, I have a rather special guest today who is very, very successful. He's a property developer, an investor, an author, a master practitioner in NLP, a coach. And he has recently appeared on the TV series, um, which was very popular, Rich House, Poor House. And I have great pleasure in welcoming this guest, Emmanuel Isakil. Now, Emmanuel is an international speaker and also an award-winning specialist in property development, mortgages, and wealth creation. Emmanuel started his story, so to speak, at the age of 16 when he left school with only a few basic qualifications and began working on a building site. Fed up with being poor, he then educated himself on how to build wealth by reading books, listening to CDs and attending seminars. He then went on to create a very successful financial management company with more than 40 employees and sales of more than seven million pounds a year. Now that gave him the financial freedom where he now owns shares in more than 250 properties worth more than 50 million pounds. He is a self-made millionaire but also he has known a life of ups and downs as we all have and he lost a fortune in the crash of 2008 but then went on fabulously to rebuild himself again. He is also the author of the highly successful book The Six Steps to Financial Freedom and today he's going to talk to us about his journey that is quite incredible really what he has been through but it's really finding the real treasures in life that are the most important and that is of life of family of friends and ultimate peace so welcome to you dear emmanuel thank you for that lovely introduction i've <laughs> a lot to live up to now <laughs> i'm sure you will i'm sure you will how are you today I'm very, very good, thank you. Enjoying the beautiful sun. So, sun is shining, shining brightly, should I say. So, it's a wonderful day. So, yeah, I'm very happy. Good, good. Now, thank you so much, Emmanuel, for joining me on the show. It's, as I said, it's a real honour to have you on here and to share your story. And I really would like you to share, to begin, 
to share this incredible story from the beginning of your life, really, of where it all started and how you were inspired to, you know, take this journey of success. Yeah, I, I think it all, it all started from when I was about to leave school at the age of 16. I think there was uh, a big motivation for me. I wasn't um, a very good academic student. In fact, I was very poor. Uh, and as I was leaving uh, the end of my fifth form at the time, my head of year, uh, their parting or his parting words to me was I, I would be a failure all of my life. Um, so I had a real driving force to prove him and everybody else wrong uh, that they were measuring me by a yardstick that only they know how to measure. It's not the yardstick of true success and success is measured in lots of different ways. So. Uh, I left school, I started uh, a, an apprenticeship as a heating and ventilating engineer on a building site and just tried to find lots of ways to make additional money mm. while I was on the building site. So I would take in different things every day to sell to the, all the other tradespeople on the building site and just progress from there. And then I think at the age of around about... 20, I read uh, a few books that made a huge difference uh, to my life. So the first book I would say would be um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm -hmm. uh, and that book really taught me the difference between uh, an employee mentality and a business mentality and the different steps that you needed to take. I didn't know what the steps were, but I certainly understood the difference and where wealth was created, it wasn't created normally as an employee or self-employed. It was created from being in a business or investing in businesses. So I understood that. I didn't know how to progress it. So I decided to go on a journey to learn. And mm. I came across a few other books at the same time. Uh, one was called The Richest Man in Babylon. And the other one was called Think and Grow Rich, which a lot of people have heard by Napoleon Hill. And those laid some really solid foundations and gave me the mindset. Yeah, it's the mindset. The most important part was the mindset and the inner belief that it was possible to make significant changes over a period of time. So unlike what we have now, the internet, where everybody thinks everything is fast and it happens immediately, I knew mm. it would be a journey and a journey that took some time. And the same way, you know, to, to, to walk, to get to the top of Everest, it's one step at a time. You don't get it all in one go. So I knew mm -hmm. there were steps to take and I, I went on that journey uh, of that self-discovery, self, that self-education. And over the years, each time I learned something, the, the important part is that I just didn't learn it, I implemented it. It's not just learning something, it's taking the action. So you can read about swimming in a book, all the things you need to do about swimming. But unless you mm -hmm. get in the swimming pool and get wet and start doing the things, you won't learn how to do it properly. So hopefully that gives you some idea of some of the things that I started in terms of the journey to, to get me started. And you're an expert in your field, Emmanuel. Tell yeah. us a little bit about what, you, what your job entails, because there's a whole list of things there that I read out and, you know, um, that we know about you. What is your, you know, primary expertise would you say? Uh, I have a few areas of expertise and mm -hmm. obviously at the age of the right old age of 58 I've had quite a long time to learn different disciplines so one of the things I'm very very good at even though I left school without any qualification at A levels certainly not in, in mathematics is I have a very very good command of, of maths now uh, and understanding what what, what the important parts about maths are and that's translated into the mortgage business and money management consultancy I had mm -hmm. um, and I, I immersed myself in learning that in, in great depth because to, to, to understand business you have to understand money percentages profit margin uh, cash flow all of those things are really important so I was lucky enough uh, in my late 30s that a new concept of mortgages were being brought to the UK, uh, okay. Australia. Uh, a lot of people will, might not remember, but at that point, most mortgage, in fact, all mortgages in the UK were calculated 
annually in arrears. Now that doesn't sound like a big statement, but when you have mm -hmm. a mortgage that's transferred from annually paid in arrears to every time you make a payment, its interest is calculated daily, it has a significant difference. So in, in summary, if you made a mortgage payment of a thousand pounds every single month, the mm. bank would not credit your account until the anniversary a year later. So you'd only have the money deducted at the end of the year and then the interest would be recalculated. So by having interest calculated on a daily basis, every time you made a payment, the interest would be recalculated. So the company that came over from Australia were looking to recruit mortgage advisors. And at the time, mortgages were unregulated and I was in sales and they recruited to do that. And linked to this mortgage was called uh, a current account mortgage. So mm -hmm. the, the, the impact of that mortgage, which most people didn't realize at the time was humongous and they had a calculator linked to this mortgage that showed you by putting different money into your bank account to have your savings put into the bank account but have your normal monthly salary going in it would reduce the interest on your mortgage significantly just without doing anything to what you would normally do in your normal transaction you would mm. say between two and five years off your mortgage term and anywhere between 20 and thirty thousand pounds off the interest of your mortgage without doing anything uh, and I became the world expert on that calculator and how to manipulate it and to show people to make the most amount of savings on their mortgage. And that mortgage company now is called Virgin Money. No. Yes. So they were called First Active Mortgages and First Active Mortgages were bought out eventually by, by Virgin Money, which still has the same mortgage and account account mortgage. It's just mm. that most people don't know the true overall benefits of how to do that and they still don't. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I wrote my book, The Six Steps of Financial Freedom, showed anybody how to get out of all the debts, including their mortgage, with only making a very few small minor adjustments to what they do on a daily basis. Now, tell us a little bit about that book, Emmanuel. So the book, when I had the mortgage business, um, we would help people every two or three years consolidate their, their debts. Uh, so car loan, bank loan, credit cards, where they were finding things very difficult. The problem that I would find is every two or three years they'd come back to us, we're just replacing that debt. And I thought, this is just absolutely crazy. Nobody's teaching anybody about money, about how to manage it and to get rid of debt. So let me give you an example. When mm -hmm. you buy a car and you take a car loan for three or four years, in your yeah. wildest dream, you would not take a car loan for 25 years if it offered to you at the car dealership. But for some reason, when you remortgage and you consolidate it into your mortgage at that point, you think it's a good idea, which mm. it's not. Or a credit card that might take you two or three years to pay to then add it for a 25-year mortgage, you're paying more and more interest. So I created a formula and a template to, to show people how to get rid of all their debt, including their mortgage, by applying some simple templates and formulas, and it become very easy. And most people that use the formula save on average five to six years off the mortgage term and on average about 30 to 40,000 pounds worth of mortgage interest. So if you can imagine the average person that might have a mortgage of the age of 60, 65 and now clearing that mortgage five to 10 years earlier, they now have a huge amount of money left over to either enjoy their life or to invest in their future. And what is it um, primarily that is some of the best advice that you've been given throughout life, financial advice? Uh, the, the best financial advice is to, under, to understand my income and expenditure, really understand it. So to a proper cash flow of all my income and expenditures for a six month period to see where my spending patterns are. Because they change from month to month, but over a six month period you can track where all your costs are going so you know where they are. The other thing is when I first started it's mm. a budget, unlike using credit cards, because people think credit card is their money, it's certainly not their money. It's the bank's money, and that's why you pay interest on it, is to create a, a simple formula template. So people that don't know how to manage their finances is every time you pay something on a credit card or debit card, is if you have, if you know what your bank balance is, you automatically deduct that from your bank balance as if you've already spent it, even though the credit card might not come in for 30, 40 days. So you always know where your cash amount is. And then created a few different mantras 
along the way to help people stopping them from spending. So uh, one of them is if you go to buy something and you can't afford it, first of all, you ask yourself, do I really need it? If the answer is no, you don't buy it. Secondly is, am I going to use it? If the answer is no, you still don't buy it. Have I checked if it's cheaper elsewhere? If the answer is no, you still don't buy it. So that just stops you from buying things because most things are impulse purchases. Mm. And once you go past that impulse, and that's really to impulse purchase is your endorphins that you have. It's, it's, a, it's a chemical. And science has shown that the actual act of just picking up and trying things on without buying gives you the same effect as actually buying the goods. So ah, okay. It's the chemical release. That's why they say window shopping is pretty good or just trying things on. It gives you the same feeling, but you don't necessarily have to buy it. Now, this is, this is fascinating because I have um, a friend of mine and she had a huge addiction to shopping and she'd ran into literally 200,000 plus pounds of debt. And her answer, whenever I asked her, why do you do it? I, I said, you don't need all this stuff. You know, what the hell are you going to do with it? And she would say, it makes me feel good. Correct. It's, it, it's the feeling at the time of making the purchase or just before the purchase is where the highest feeling with the highest chemical reaction occurs. So you can still do all of that without actually having to make the purchase. So it, it, it's a chemical reaction. That people, that's why people do the shopping and that's why mm. they get that feeling at the moment or just before purchase. But after the purchase... She doesn't even use any of this stuff. After that, it's gone. The feeling's gone. And then she right. has because literally the, get another fix from it. Right. The chemical action is no longer there when you own it. It's only as you're about to own it or about oh. to buy it. It's that, it's that point of action. I mean, there's, there's lots of things that happen to when we buy things. So, you know, even if you go to McDonald's, mm. you know, my kids don't realise McDonald's make their highest amount of sales by asking a question at the point of sale. At the point of sale, uh, would you like fries with that? Would you like a milkshake with that? Milkshake with that? Would you like to go large? Because at the point of making a decision to purchase, that's the easiest and most significant time where a salesperson can increase their sales. That's why you go to a showroom and you've made the decision to buy the mm. car. They say, well, would you like a lack on that? Would you like that greater leather? Would you like these a bit? And before you know it, you've added two or three thousand pounds, which is only another ten or fifteen pounds a month on the actual finance. So mm. when you understand how the brain and the brain pattern work and the chemical actions that you have and the science behind it, you tend to change your purchases. It's, inc it's incredible to know all this. And this also, there's this come, uh, Emmanuel, because I know that you're a master practitioner of is it nlp nlp yeah tell us a little bit because that interests me a lot okay, about so. how that works and um how you use that okay, so nlp is a mm. science called neuro linguistic programming mm. and what it means is how each and every one of us take on information and what we do with that information so okay. the easy way to explain it is that we fall into predominantly three categories in the main. So you're either auditory, which means you like to take on information by listening, mm -hmm. or you're visual, you like to take on information to see things. That's why people say, talk about, can you show me your proposal? Or they say, I'm listening to what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Or kinesthetic, which means they're very touchy-feely, and they're all about the relationship. Now, we all have these as part of us, but in different mm -hmm. scenarios, one of them is more prominent or prevalent than the other. So it's not only the language that we use to take on information on board, but it's also the language we use and the, and the information on how we speak to ourselves. So while you and I are talking now, mm -hmm. you will be interpreting. There'll be another voice in your head as we're speaking that's interpreting this information. That voice is there constantly for each and one of us. Do I like him? Can I use what he's saying? Is he truthful? All of these different things will be happening in the background simultaneously. Now, that language that we use internally can also be positive or negative. That's why you have people that are depressed or they're, they're 
they are down. They're using internal dialogue language to themselves that changes the meaning of what is around them. So right. Okay. Once you understand how NLP works, and that's why you've heard of people like Paul McKenna. They can yes, take somebody, I have. They can take somebody very easily that's got a phobia against spiders or snakes or anything like that and turn it around. And the reason how they're able to turn it around, they change the language association, but they not only change the language association. So when you and I talk uh, mm. in terms of feelings, we only take on information two ways. We take in terms of emotion. So one of the things, and, and pictures. So we put everything, so if I say to you, no, don't think of a pink elephant, you're thinking of a pink elephant. There's no, is there something <laughs> a pink elephant? There's no such thing as a pink elephant. So we take on information in terms of pictures uh, uh, in the main. So the, the, the pictures that we associate it and the sounds and the feelings and the emotions around it. So if you change the picture and you change the emotion, you change the interpretation of that event. So, the, so some people see things in black and white, some people see things in black and white, uh, uh, color black and white. Other people see pictures very large or very small. So you change all of those associations, you change the sounds around it, and then all of a sudden you change the feeling. You can do that very, very quickly. Uh, and the master of that, although he didn't create it, was Tony Robbins, but it was created by a guy called Richard Bandler. Uh, and I've heard of that as well, yes. He, he created the science around it, and even the story around how this was created is quite unbelievable, which I won't go into today, but it was an amazing way how they created this mm. particular new science. And what is a master practitioner? How does he differ, for example? How do you differ from people that call themselves NLP practitioners? What's the difference? So basically, there's, there's different levels of understanding of an LP. And an LP practitioner means that you have a higher level of skill to help other people and to teach other people about NLP. That's the main difference. So you know, an LP coach might have just done one course for maybe a week. A practitioner would have done it for at least two or three residential courses for at least seven days at a time. And they have to practice it and show that they have a certain level of understanding uh, and performance to do it. Okay, I understand. So it's like being um, qualified in a lower school, you know, for children and then being qualified, say, in a college or a university. So definitely different you can, you can skill say, set. You can say one is O-level, the other one is A-level and the other one is a degree. Okay, okay. And is that something that's helped you in your career? massively because it doesn't just help you in your career it helps you everywhere it's does what, it it's communication it's communication with each and every person that you are in your relationship with your children it's we're communicating all the time you know and understanding with people so this is the thing people don't say what they mean and mean what they say isn't that the truth yes so if you know that is true mm. and you understand nlp and what they're really saying then so, for example, able. give it, give an example. Uh, so, it's used quite a lot in sales where somebody says, "I want to think about it." For instance, I'll give you an easy mm. example. So, most people, when they say, "Don't I think about it," it means that they're, they're not quite ready because they've got lots of things on their mind. That's what mm. they say. You, you haven't answered my questions. We want breathing space, so we want to think about it. So, they normally have one or two issues. It could be lots of things they're thinking about. So understanding that kind of language and changing your communication with them so you bring the, whatever objection or whatever issue they have out allows a more meaningful conversation. It doesn't mean that you're going to give them what they need, but it means you have a much better understanding of what they're trying to say. In relationships, when your partner says to you, I'm fine, and they're not <laughs> fine at all. Mm, far from it, yes. Yeah. So you know, when we talk now, you know, NLP also talks about, the important part is most people don't realize, you and I talking right now. Mm. And in terms of the information that's passing between us, the words that I use in terms of communication only represent 7% communication. However, the tonality that I use, so my tone, mm -hmm. how yeah. I'm speaking, even though you can't see me, has a 38% mm. 
meaning in communication. And the other part, which is non-verbal, which is everything you can't see right now, my voice, my face, my body, my hand movement, represents 55%. So you've got 93% of all communication is non-verbal. So when you see somebody and they say something and you know they're lying, it's not because of what they're saying, it's because you can see everything else around their body is not congruent with what they're saying. Yes, so it's like you're looking at their eyes, but their mouth is saying something different. Correct. So when you understand LNP, it allows you to have much better communications with everybody in your life. Make sense? Yes. Yes. You, you're, you're thinking deeply right now, right? As to what's the next question to ask me. Now, do you know what? I'm fascinated <laughs> with this. Do you know what I'm yeah. thinking? I'm thinking, you're such a fountain of knowledge. There's so many things I could ask you. Because it's so fascinating. Um, the human psyche also, that's something that fascinates me. Well, as humans, we're amazing, amazing creatures. We have so much ability, talent. The truth is we don't really tap into as much of it as we could. I heard that and I also listened to a lot of documentaries, but I read a lot about that and that we use only a certain amount of our brain. Right. But imagine if we used, I don't know, even 50%, how much more powerful we would be and in tune with so many things around us. Yeah, it's, it's, it's about being present. NLP allows you to be present. So there's a saying, you have two ears and one mouth and you need to speak and listen in that proportion. And the truth is when most people talk, most people don't listen, they listen with the intent of the real essence of what the other person is trying to say. So it's the art of listening, isn't it, also? Very much so. Art, the listening is one of the greatest skills you can ever have um, mm. in allowing people to communicate with you so you can understand what they're truly trying to say and convey. And nobody really listens, I don't find. I have a, I, I, you know, when you're talking to people, as I'm sure with yourself, a lot of people just want to talk over you or to say what they have to say but no one's actually listening to what anyone really has to say that's a very rare quality uh, it is but it's something that's easily adapted you know m most habits can be changed within 30 to 40 days if you do it on a regular basis and listening is is, is no different and the, the, the relationships that you have when you start listening it's incredible of just how much they enriched because people truly feel that you're interested, you're listening, and not listening to reply, but listening to truly wanting to listen. Uh, and you know, if you if you read um, Men Are from Mars, Women from Venus by by, by, the, by the author, it's again, it's about understanding. We all take on information differently. The community, anything to do with communication, how I can improve my communication with anyone around me is something I'll, I'll always look to improve upon. Is that something, Emmanuel, that you would say that was one of your strengths, is the art of listening and to be able to hear people? Uh, I think one of my strengths is not thinking I'm clever, but thinking I'm actually quite stupid, so I always wanted to learn. Mm. Humble. Realistic. Yeah, that also. That yes. also. What makes you unique, would you say? Um, we're all unique. Mm. Each and every one of us is unique in a different way. Um, I wouldn't say I'm unique. I would say that I'm, I persevere. I will ask I don't think it's a weakness to ask for help. I think it's important that you ask for help at the right, right times um, and get rid of your ego, I would say. Ego is your enemy. The ego, yes, a tricky little thing that is. I've, uh, I've, <laughs> I've read many things and, you know, mind books, spiritual books, all sorts of things. And... I heard, I don't know what you think about this, but I heard that 
the ego likes to ride on your back, but the point is that you have to ride on your ego's back. And it's like a horse. You have to train it so that it's disciplined. And I quite like that analogy of it. Uh, ego is, is good in certain places. Mm. Uh, but it's knowing when you, can, you should use it and when you need to leave it behind. It's a, a matter of balance, I suppose, as with all things in life. Yeah, very, very much so. And Emmanuel, you are very successful in your business, but I know that you have openly said that there have been a lot of ups and a lot of downs, and you have literally rebuilt your entire business from the crash of 2008 to becoming now again highly successful how did you do that how did you find the motivation and the drive because in these times and the reason i ask you in these times that we're seeing around us it's very uncertain and so many people are losing so much and it's very difficult for them to find their feet to get up again, to fight again, to have that zest, I suppose, not to give up hope. How did you do it? There's so many ways I could, I could answer this. And one thing I'll say, somebody once said to me, you've mm -hmm. got 100% success rate of getting through really bad days. So it doesn't matter how bad the day is, if you're still there the next day, you've got through that day. And, you know, life is designed to bring challenges to us. That's how we grow. That's how we develop. And different challenges have to different people. And whatever my challenges are, I know people have much worse challenges than I do. And so if you just focus on, on how bad or your situation is, it's mm. difficult to improve upon. But, you know, it's building blocks. Things do change. Things do alter, you know. A couple of days ago, it was raining. Today, but now the sunshine out. Things change. Things move. Things evolve. And if you if you focus on what could be, what is good in your life. So, one of the things I do every single morning, without fail, I I give gratitude for everything that's great in my life. Because there's so many great things in, in my life. Of course, I have challenges, especially right now. I've got challenges. I'm being heavily invested in the hotel hospitality sector. They're being completely closed until you know next football well, like I'm, you know most of my developments have either been closed or the lenders are making a put more money into developments because they are less confident in where the value is going to be in a year's time. I've got my own buy to let portfolio where the government has told tenants they, they you know they can take payment holidays. So of course there's different areas in my life that I can that are very difficult. But just take each day at a time, things will change, it will improve. So, you know, part of this lockdown, mm -hmm. people I know have been educating themselves, changing, adapting, being more flexible, understanding how does the internet work? How do I get my business online? What else can I do to improve it? It's not going to be easy. It's just about being persistent and persevering, and eventually you'll find a way. Eventually, you'll find a way to make things better than where you are. And one day at a time, that is very good advice because we seem to worry about naturally so. We worry about our past, what we've done in the past. We worry about the future, you know, which is not promised to anyone. And yet, we miss that moment today when we can make a difference. But, How? But I mean, the, yeah. just, just on that, the, again, mm -hmm. I love phrases and I love um, different motivational quotes. And somebody said many, many years ago, they said, mm. you've got the past, which is history. Mm. You've got the present, which is a gift. And tomorrow's a mystery. So t today is the oh, present. That's very beautiful. But, you know, we are in the present. That's a gift. Every moment in the, in the present is a gift. Tomorrow is a mystery. And that's what you look forward to. What mystery? What will tomorrow bring? 
important is that meditation, joy every single moment, joy around people around you. You never know when the last day is going to be. You just there never you know. And I've had personal experience where people are there today and they were gone tomorrow. So you just never know when that last day is going to be. So enjoy the present. It really is there to be enjoyed because you never know when your last night's going to be. People had, you know, they were healthy one day, they were not there a few days later. So enjoy every single moment, cherish every single moment of the present because that's what you have right now. This is excellent advice because I know for a fact through personal experience, you never know when you're going to see someone also for the last time. And I remember once I was abroad and I was there and it was my uncle. And I remember having this feeling, it was a gut feeling. And I thought to myself, what if I never saw him again? And we were saying goodbye to each other. What would I say? And all I could say to him was, I love you. I love you for being you. And strangely enough, three months later, he died. And from that moment, Emmanuel, I took it upon myself that every meeting with everyone, I'm going to treat it like it's the last. Because you just don't know. I couldn't agree more. I don't want to have regrets, you know. And what's, it's too late when somebody's not here anymore. It's important while they're here and what you say to them and what you do for them while they're here and while we're here together. And someone once said to me, it's not that we don't have enough time with each other because those we love, we always want more time with. It's that we didn't know how to spend our time with them. I like that. And that is my motto for life now. However hard that is sometimes to think, I live by it because you just never know. Right, you just never know. Now, I know we were talking earlier and you were telling me an incident about um, when you had pneumonia. And the reason I asked that is I had pneumonia, but I had it when I was seven years old and I nearly died. Now, you said that that was quite uh, a transformational moment for you. Tell us a little bit about that story, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, I was 38 years old. Uh, I was running three businesses simultaneously. I was probably working 20 hours a day, running myself into the ground. Uh, then put the money cut badly. Um, literally take to hospital in an ambulance. I had two intravenouses in each arm, three doctors, literally said I was an hour or so from slipping away. Uh, I was coughing so badly, I cracked my ribs. I was in hospital uh, three weeks. I couldn't even walk two steps unaided. Uh, I had three months off of work and I decided to make a choice then to start working smarter uh, and to enjoy life and just slow things down. Um, nobody will ever remember how much money you have, but they will remember the memories and the magic moments that you have with them. So I started to change my focus and from that point onwards things became easier. <laughs> and have you seen a difference in your life since then? Has it become, I suppose, um, more rich in the sense of you know the real treasures as we said at the beginning of family and friends? I have right now, I'd say, with all the different challenges I have in business, just a very blessed life in lots of different areas. And I'm for all the things that have been able to achieve with friends, family, relationships uh, in my life. So I'm, I'm, I'm very blessed in that, in that regard. I'm very happy. It gives a meaning to life, doesn't it? A more sort of taste of life, I suppose. The real sweetness of life comes from the deep, deep connections that we have with those that we love. And what would you say is the most fulfilling part of your life now, Emmanuel? Oh, I have so many different areas. My, my, my relationship is very fulfilling. My relationship with my children and my family is amazing. And also 
no contribution. I do a lot of seminars, uh, nearly always free. I actually talk at events. Uh, bigger and better things. That's how I started from speaking, speaking at seminars to motivate me, and to mm. inspire me, to show me that there are different ways. I didn't know the past. Um, but you, you've got to be able to take that plunge, take that step. It's not going to, they say, it's not going to be easy, but it will be worth it. Yes, I like that. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it. And sometimes we forget that, don't we, when we're going through difficult times. Now, I was mentioned earlier about you appeared on the TV show, Rich House, Poor House. I watched that, actually. Tell us a little bit about how that came about and what that taught you. Well, it, it came about, I was approached by Channel 5 to see if I would be interested. Um, I spoke to a few people that I know uh, and they said that this particular channel uh, don't try and make you look bad. So based on that, I said I would do that. I wanted to do that purely for my children. So they're amazing and how privileged they are compared to uh, the average person in the UK. Uh, so I wanted them to to go back to, to back to where I started. You know, I started in very humble beginnings. You know, my dad worked in an abattoir. My mother was a school dinner lady. And down on my birthday. Um, so I knew what it was like to sort of struggle, uh, but it's a long time um, since I've been there uh, that my kids have had, I said, you know, I've had quite a privileged life and learn to, to appreciate and value uh, how other people are and how they live. So that was the main reason for going. And the other part is I, I really wanted to motivate and inspire the family that I was swapping with. They didn't be, so they could see that if they took steps, that they could also start making changes in their life. And both of those things happened. It is remarkable, really, when you look at two sets of people, you know, no two sets of people are the same and to literally swap lives. It gives us an insight, doesn't it? Like walking a mile in someone else's shoes. It, it shows us really that we all have something to be grateful for. It's, you know, the measure of the person is not their bank account. The measure of the person is how they treat other people. Yes. And that's important. Money doesn't make a person any better. In fact, money is just a magnifying glass of who you really are. If you're a nice person, you're just a nicer with it. If you're, they say, if you're an asshole to start with, you're just the bigger <laughs> one when you have it. So Yeah, it's going to magnify that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yes. That's for sure. That's for sure. Now, Emmanuel, I wanted to ask you because I absolutely love the name Emmanuel. And as you know, we had a little chat before how that name came about. Because there's a story behind that, isn't there? Story. It's quite a long story, but I'll try and trace it as much as possible. My, both my parents are foreign. My, my, my father is from um, my mother's from They met in Israel uh, and they came to the UK. And my mother had three caesareans. So we're talking 60 odd years ago where you know, childbirth with caesarean was, wasn't as easy as it is today. And after her third caesarean, they told her she was, fell pregnant again. Uh, either she would die, the baby would die, they would both die. So they decided they wouldn't have any more children. And uh, my parents being very religious, didn't use contraception. Uh, and my mother fell pregnant. They went to the doctor and they said, because of the health issues, she would have to have what's called a DNC or a scrape. Uh -huh. Went to the hospital, she had a DNC. A couple of weeks later, she went back to the doctor and said, the baby's still there. He said, that's impossible, it can't be. Go to the hospital, take the urine test. She went to the urine test. Uh, when the nurse went to take the sample, she fell over. The urine wasn't used, they didn't tell my mum. So you had to come back two weeks later. By that time, it was already three months. Um, and because my parents are so religious, they decided that they would continue the pregnancy because it's supposed to be. Against the advice of the doctors, it said either my mother would die, I would die, 
we both die, or at the very best, I would come out completely deformed because of the DNC. My so, goodness. Um, the pregnancy went ahead. Uh, I was given birth, and I was given birth on what's called the Eve of Passover. Uh huh. You call me Emmanuel, as the word means God is with us. What a remarkable story. It is. It's a very true story, and I'm in the um, hospital, uh, Allgate Hospital, as one in 10 million births. My goodness. And do you think that has had, I mean, do you think there's something in that, that against all odds that you survived, that that somehow within your spirit gave you that courageous stance in life? Uh, I think it's more my parents, both my mm. parents were very humble um, people, very religious people. We always grew up um, about the community and, and helping the community and having that. Um, in fact, my parents would come, my father would come back every weekend from the synagogue with somebody new that didn't have a place to eat and we would feed them. It was just part and parcel of what we did as a family. So I think they instilled all, all the true values that I have today. You know, they say that most of our learning behaviour within our first seven years of childhood, and I, I strongly believe that. Yes, I believe that too. It's what we see in the first seven years of our life. And I, I also, like yourself, I love quotes. And I heard this quote and it said, show me the child and I'll show you the adult. Yeah. And I very much believe that. It's very true. It's when you think about it, all the people that I remember being young and um, having grown up, they are exactly the same, actually. Even my friends and family members, they haven't changed. The, in, in essence, they're the same. In childhood, we either do exactly the same as our parents, because we really like it, or we do completely mm. So that, that's our learning behavior. We either go towards it or go away from it based on yes. our experience. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. Now, coming towards the end of the show today, Manuel, I would like to ask you a couple of things. And that is, what advice would you give to people now out there, to the listeners, to keep hope, to keep optimistic about life and something that you've used in your life that has helped you? I would say however bleak or bad you think things are, things will get better over time. We live in unparalleled, unprecedented times compared to any other era in, in, our, his, in our history. You can go back to even now, if you go to third world country where they don't have proper toilets or sanitary, you know, we still believe amazing. It might be difficult. We are used to, we're being conditioned to all the things that we have. But we still have amazing lives, amazing opportunity. It doesn't mean there won't be challenges along the way. But slowly, slowly, things will change. It will get better. You know, you go down to 2008 where the banks collapsed and everybody mm. thought it was doom and gloom. Within a few years, things had recovered. You go back to 1997, where a similar occurrence happened. These things happen on 10 to 15 years. A pandemic is very different to what things are before. Mm. If you, if you take, we're going to have a, a time of adjustment. People are going to have to learn new skills to change what they do. Things will not be the same. That doesn't mean things are going to be worse. It just means things aren't going to be the same. We're going to have to adapt. And we're going to have to live with what we have right now. We're going to have to understand how we're going to do the best with this pandemic around until they find a cure or they find a, you know, a vaccine. We're just going to have to adapt. We're very adaptable as, as the human race. We will persist, we will persevere, and we will survive, and we will thrive. This will teach us new skills of how to grow and how to develop, and it might be you know, people might think it's easy for me to say it, it isn't. I'm also suffering dramatically in all areas of my business, but I do know things will change, they will improve if I change and I improve and I adapt. Yeah, 
to adapt to change, which is the perpetual thing of life, because we're all changing in any case from day to day as human beings. Beautiful advice, I have to say, and it's something that we need to all keep in mind for sure. Now, Emmanuel, where can people get hold of you? What's the best place? Uh, they can certainly get in touch with me through LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. uh, Emmanuel Ezekiel. Uh, obviously, my name is quite difficult to spell. It's with an I, not with an E. I'd say, or Instagram. Um, I'm not prolific on that sort of platform. Um, but they can contact me in any, any of those sort of areas. I also do speaking events for companies like Wealth and Success Academy and one or two others. So just search me out on the internet. Very happy to see you. And they can, get, they can look at some of the things that you've done on YouTube, can't they? Very much so. There's loads of different free videos on YouTube to do with different things that I talk about, teach about, train about, to do with property, mindset, NLP. Uh, there's a podcast that we do on a straight talking property podcast. That's through the Royal Think Success Academy. I have a couple of other guys that I speak with, which were um, Ashley Banfield and Brett Ellicott, both Australian guys. Um, and we just help people understand how to get into property and the things they need to do if they get into property and other things around it. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Emmanuel, for joining me today. It's been really a learning curve, I have to say. And, um, you know, wow, I could, I, I always say this, you know, but I could talk to my guests forever because they are such inspirational and such wise people. And I'm very interested in all these things that you have to say, and especially about the human psyche and how that is. But thank you very much. And please do come again. I'm all Thank you for having me. Yeah, all the best. I wish you all the very best in everything that you're doing. And um, hopefully, you know, we can be all together in better times. I hope so too. Oh, take okay, take care. Bye. 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 Emmanuel Isakil. Such an interesting story. And also the fact that it doesn't matter how much money we have. It doesn't really matter what other people call success. What's important are the real treasures in life, which are friends and family, good health. Something to remember there. Thank you so much for joining me. And I will see you again in the next episode. Take care and lots of love. Thank you for listening to Secrets for an Inspirational Life, brought to you by your host, Mimi Novik. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and see you in the next episode. For more information about Mimi Novik and her books, music and inspirational work, take a look at her website, www.miminovic.co.uk.